Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. It's important for anyone working with farmers to recognize the pressures that a farmer may face on any given day when they're asking a farmer to adopt a conservation practice or change something in their cropping system. That ask could come from conservation staff, landowners, even ag retailers. Not only that, a farmer has to consider the financial, operational, and managerial alterations that might accompany that change in how they farm. And that's what we're going to discuss today on the Hat Soil Health Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Pfeiffer, and I've got a couple of experts here with me today to talk about cover crops, soil health practices, and how it all integrates into your farm. Uh, first, I want to welcome in uh, both of these uh, folks, by the way, are veterans of the Hat Soil Health Podcast. They've both been on before. I first want to welcome in Rodney Rulin. Rodney's with Rulin Enterprises. And Rodney, first, please just introduce yourself for the folks. Sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. I'm uh, uh, I'm Rodney Rulin. I'm a uh, fifth generation family farmer right here in uh, north central Indiana. We farm Hamilton and Tipton counties. Um, just kind of a uh, um, a normal Indiana multi generational um, family farm. We're uh, we've been uh, no tilling for a long time, participating in uh, conservation programs and working with our. Uh, uh, soil and water and NRCS uh, offices. So we have some experience in, in that area. I've uh, been doing cover crops for about 20 years now. And, uh, um, you know, just really uh, believe in the power of conservation on our farm, uh, both as a uh, an economic model that's that's good for us, as well as as kind of a, uh, a civic model. We think uh, where we're at in the watershed north of Indianapolis, we're, we're pretty feel pretty big responsibility for what leaves our farm. And, and so we try and use these practices to, uh, to keep as much of, of what we pay for on the farm as possible. So um, that's kind of a, a real quick of, of us here. Very good. Rodney, thank you for joining us today. Also joining us, Indiana USDA NRCS state conservationist, Jerry Rayner. Jerry, thank you for joining us. Uh, please give us your background with USDA and NRCS, but also just your background in agriculture. You've got an extensive one. Uh, yes, uh, Jerry Rayner here, um, working with the uh, NRCS and then the Conservation Partnership. So I've, I've got a, a little over a 30-year track record in conservation itself and working with, uh, you know, private landowners. So uh, it's been a tremendous experience. Uh, from start to finish, but all of that started with my background. Uh, growing up on a farm in North Carolina, uh, being a part of the farm labor at that time, and then growing up to the to the point of, uh, you know, handling some of the day to day operations uh, myself. Uh, my background and uh, farming and your experiences, we've you, things just happen to you in life, and uh, as growing up. You wanted to get off the farm and as far away from farming as possible. And I took my shot and ran away. And evidently I ran in a circle because I'm right back to the point of 
being engaged in farming and conservation and crop production. And now not only hands-on experience, but also being able to work with uh, our producers like Mr. Rulon, who is uh, exceptional. And I know he gave you part of his background, but uh, coming to Indiana, he was one of the first producers I got to meet. And when we talked about conservation, his passion for it uh, kind of put a smile on my face because I realized I, I have the same passion. So it fits, it works. And, and he's correct. If I'm asking him to do one more thing, I need to really be uh, mindful of that because of everything on his, on his plate. But uh, when he has a passion for conservation and an openness to understand the new um, innovations that are coming and then willing to work with our conservation agencies on his own farm, uh, it speaks volumes to the work that we can get done in these collaborative efforts we have across Indiana. Uh, excited for conservation, excited for farming and its future. Um, but I know we've got a lot of work in, in front of us and, and things left to do. Well, I'm going to start off then with a softball, okay? I, I'm known for asking the really hard questions, but I'm going I'm to start off with a softball here, and I'll start with Rodney, and then, Jerry, I want to come to you. And, and you touched on it already a little bit, Rodney, but where does the passion come from, the passion for conservation, for these soil health practices, why? So, well, that's a little bit of a softball, but if uh, there, there's some depth there too, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's like I said, we're, we're fifth generation uh, farm here. Um, and really, uh, even beyond that, we're looking at the sixth generation uh, legacy. You know, we, we were handed um, some great opportunities uh, here. You know, I, I came back to the farm, would have been very difficult to start out on my own, um, obviously, and have the, the type and, and scope of operation that we have uh, that I'm lucky enough to be able to, to be part of. Um, and that really all comes down to uh, the legacy of past generations and the way they took care of the land. Um, if we don't continue to take care of, and, and quite honestly, at this point, we need to do some uh, restoration and improvement of the soil and the land, um, you know, it's not going to be there for the next generation. I've got kids and, and the older my kids got, um, uh, the more I noticed that, uh, you know, that passion, uh, the depth that was increasing there of uh, really being able to see um, why we would do this. Um, at the same time, um, these practices make sense. Um, so, so we're all, everybody on our operation has some sort of a college degree. Most of us are uh, economists or engineers by, by training. Um, and we, we do some pretty deep dives and analysis on things. And, and quite honestly, um, we think that the conservation model makes a lot of economic sense. You know, no-till makes economic sense. Uh, using cover crops instead of um, tillage, keeping the soil on the farm, keeping the fertilizers that we pay for on the farm. Um, it's pretty easy to be passionate um, when it's also a good economic decision and, and makes you money. So, um, you know, those, uh, those things combined um, and just this this time in history where we're at, where there's uh, um, such a shift in agriculture, it's uh, really exciting to see uh, as we look at where the future is going and, and the opportunities we have. So I think just all of that uh, kind of came to a head, but I really have to give 
give the majority of the credit to, to those that came before. <laughs> and Jerry, what about you? Uh, the passion for me, like I said, it started uh, on the farm, although I didn't recognize it until I had the opportunity to start working with uh, landowners who were, when when they had conservation or, not, or, or resource concerns on the farm, whether it be erosion or production issues, realizing that the, the agency has a level of expertise to help solve some of these concerns that, uh, that our, our producers face. Um, and and uh, there, there are various concerns out there, uh, but no matter what the concern is, we have the opportunity to walk the land, really get to know the producer personally and their family and their operation. Um, what, what drives them to wanna to grow the crops they grow? But at the same time, when they can turn to the agency or turn to me and say, how can you help me solve this, this problem? And we come up with solutions together and implement those solutions. And they turn around and say, Jerry, that's working very well. I think we want to expand that across the farm. I think we want to, you know, look at some different opportunities. There's another issue I have. Let's go, let's get in the truck and go take a look at it. All of those things just make you want to provide more assistance, more service. And then with the agency and then being able to provide, you know, financial assistance to help implement some of these practices. Uh, I, I've honestly, I've actually started changing my approach to conservation and the message when we're talking to producers, because uh, we have a, a tendency to talk about our reimbursement or cost share assistance. Uh, now, I'm, I'm as I grow, I'm starting to look at things a little different because some of these uh, uh, programs, there are ways of mitigating a risk that a farmer is, is undertaking. Uh, it was a risk going from conventional tillage to no-till. Although all, everyone may not see that, changing a management style can, a, can feel like a risk of doing business differently and there's always something to lose. So these programs can help mitigate some of that risk. So as we're changing our management styles, as we're, as we're changing crop rotations, it's a little easier to take. I'm listening to Mr. Rula talk about his passion and those that came before him. We had, and, the, and you're talking about the sixth generation. What are we going to leave them to farm? What type, what, what would the soil type, uh, the soil quality be? What would the water quality be when that sixth generation or seventh generation steps on that farm? We want to leave them an asset that is truly productive. And these conservation practices really help in that effort. Mr. Rolanda, I'm thinking about what you just said. You're like a gambler that's winning at everything that you do. And, and you're you're looking at conservation as a part of that to say, you know what, if it's making that much economic sense, I'm not losing at taking the next step or looking at a new approach or an innovative way to still produce. Yeah, Jerry, I think I'd like to chime in there just uh, uh, to to agree with you a little bit on the uh, on the idea that the things we're doing, we're, we're seeing benefits and they work. And so, um, you know, the the economics for us are are pretty easy at that point. But uh, also, just like what you were saying, uh, 20, 30 years ago, when we were looking at at these practices and starting down this path, it was it was scary. It was a change, and we went to a lot of meetings and did a, did a lot of research and and worked with our soil and water district and NRCS and 
other farmers that, that mentored us and and things and that was that's a, that's a little bit of the passion of why we share what we do and try and help others because uh, uh, we understand the the fear that can come in there to doing something different even even if there's promises that it's better in the long run uh, the bottom line is this year we've got to take care of our family and and pay the bank and and everything else so um, certainly I'll uh, I'll agree with you there so Rodney not too long ago you uh, were you were the star, I'll say, of the of a, of a webinar that, that took place called "So You Want Me to Change How I Farm," and uh, we'll have a link to that at HoosierAgToday.com. Uh, great webinar, but uh, just talk a little bit about the premise of the webinar. Why why was it titled "So You Want Me to Change How I Farm"? Yeah, so that's uh, um, <laughs> it, it's uh, just just a good. I had done a, a talk like that a few years back to to a group at uh, at a state soil and water meeting, and um, it really just comes down to I've I've also been a uh, on the board of the Hamilton County Soil and Water Conservation District for about 20 years, and so I kind of see both sides and and know um, what it's like to be a farmer and have somebody. Uh, like Jerry or or one of the staff from NRCS come come to me and say, hey, you know, you you ought to try this. We've got a program, and um, and and I know what it's, and I also know from my experience with the district what it's like to be the person on the other side saying, hey, uh, uh, you know, here I am walking in the door asking you to uh, to do something else uh, that I think will work and I think it'll help you, but uh, you know, it's that person's job to to convince the farmer. So I've, I guess seeing both sides of it, um, I was asked to, to put that together and just talk about as a, as a farmer, when, when I see uh, somebody pull in my driveway that, uh, that I know is going to ask me to do one more thing that I, I've already got a, my, my table, you know, my list, my list is full for the next uh, week. And, and uh, so do, doing one more thing can be a bit of a challenge. So um, today, today was a great example. You know, I, I love doing these podcasts and it's a lot of fun. I've, I've, I've worked with Jerry uh, in the past and really enjoy the uh, relationship we've had. But, uh, you know, we were out putting in tile today. When, when we set the date for this, for this, I jokingly said, well, as long as it rains, because this was the third of seven days in a row that they were calling for rain. And, well, what do you know? It didn't rain. So, uh, <laughs> so, so those are the kind of things that happen uh, in a farmer's life where we're dependent on weather and, and these kind of things. And so we were out in the field. And, and, but we, uh, um, because we do feel passionate about this, you know, we made arrangements and, and worked things out. But uh, um, certainly, I think that's how I got got involved was just having been on, on both sides of that a little bit and willing to talk about, um, you know, some of the different things that may be going on in a farmer's life when you walk into the shop and and have this great idea as a conservationist and say, hey, I'd, I'd like you to do this. And he may have been on a completely different page right at that moment. So so what is that conversation? You know, what should it sound like, Rodney? Uh, if 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 uh, if one of these uh, folks like Jerry or some of the other folks that work with Jerry come to you, what should that conversation sound like? Uh, what's what do you find has been the most impactful? So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be different for every farm and farmer, I think, and and depending on their situation with with labor and and acres and and all sorts of things. But but for us, 
you know, coming on our farm, we're, we're looking for, obviously we have a track record now. So, so it's a little bit easier for, for Jerry to come in and say, Hey, I've, I've got an idea because, you know, I, I kind of know where he's coming from. So that, that makes it a little bit easier, but, but over the years, it's really been, um, you know, how, how much paperwork is it going to be is always a big question with, with NRCS and USDA. So, um, you know, we need to, to streamline the process, you know, come in to me as a farmer and, and have a, have a thought already. Um, that's, that's one of the things that really gets us agitated is if, uh, if somebody comes in and it takes some, you know, two hours to get to their, get to their thought of what they were going to, why, why are we here? So generally we're, uh, we're pretty to the point. And, uh, if you come in with, with a thought of something that, uh, uh, sounds like it, it makes sense for us and, and you've got some, some reasons and hopefully some data or, uh, or at least a, uh, you know, a new program that you, you understand the program, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to hear you come in and, and pitch me a program and then say, well, we don't really have anything in writing yet. So this is all just conjecture, but uh, um, anyway, you know, those kind of things where our schedules are tight. So if, if you've got an idea, I'm more than happy to hear it. You know, that's a salesman or, or an NRCS person or, you know, any kind of conservationist. I, I'm, a, we're open to ideas and, and improving the operation. I think most farmers are, um, but we do, we, we work, uh, you know, there, there's so many things going on now. Um, on the farm that you can't just uh you don't you don't have a lot of time to sit around and ponder jerry what's your takeaway on all that well rodney i've got one more thing i need for you to do um that's and he's totally correct and i'm sitting here listening thinking yep i've been on i've been on both sides of that thing as well and now being on the side of the agency who's who feels like the salesman all the time um, my experience have taught me it, Rodney is the customer. He is truly the customer. And I have to understand his operation when I have time, when he has time. Um, I, just driving by the farm, there, there are things that we really have to clearly pay attention to. If it's harvest season, I'm the la probably the last person he wants to see to talk about programs. But even if I have a contract for him to sign, I have to be able to catch him at the end of the road during a turn and at five minutes, Rodney, here it is. Here's what I need for you. Contact him ahead of time so he's know I'm, he knows I'm standing at the end of the field. And he said, I got two minutes and we can get business done and move on. But we can only do that once we establish trust. As he said, now that we, we have that relationship, he knows if Jerry shows up, He's got a new thought, a new idea that's going to help improve my operation. Now that I've walked the land enough with him, I know what really fits his operation. So it's almost like we've become part of that consulting operation or, or team that he has for, for his operation. Um, but, but again, all of that comes with building those relationships and those values of trust and just knowing how we operate, how the farming community truly operates. When's the busy time? When's the downtime? Catching him on a rainy day. Uh, we've been known to, on rainy days, show up at a shop to talk about conservation because where are they going? That, <laughs> you, you've kind of got them in a corner at that point and they have some time, even if they're working on equipment. 
but there are things that we're having to work with our um, employees on, our staff on, who are new, who are don't have a farm background, who are new to the farming community, and you know, putting them under our wing to say, here's when you catch them at the right time. Here's when you can share this information. If they're in a meeting, they want to know the ins and outs. They want you to be able to speak to what we're talking about. And that conjecture he mentioned, well, it might work, it might not. It's not all quite settled yet. Leave that on the shelf because they don't have that time to hear those things. So right now, I totally agree with you. And that's why I share some of my philosophies with our entire staff. And even if we're having staff meetings or, or all employee meetings, we bring uh, uh, partners in like Rodney to have those discussions because these younger employees don't understand. They don't realize those things. Uh, they just think they should show up. The farmer should listen and be willing to move forward. But I also know that this, uh, this conservation effort is about patience. Farmers will change their management style when they realize it's time for them to change. Now, I, could, I think everybody in the state of Indiana should be utilizing cover crops. I think they should be at the level that, that Rodney's at right now. But I also realize it takes time for that management style to change. And what prompts them to change may be different from operation to operation. So I, I, I enjoy I enjoy these kind of things because as I hear them, now I can remind our staff, guys, we need to be careful when we're visiting these operations, when, we're, when we show up on a farm, let's get to the point. They don't have time to deal, it's planting season. He has tile to install, he's harvesting. And unless I'm gonna pick up a shovel or drive a tractor, um, it, <laughs> my timing may really be off that day. <laughs> Jerry, uh, say you've got a farmer that wouldn't mind participating in a program but he feels that there are a lot of strings attached. We talked about, talked about some of the paperwork and some of those things. What do you say to that farmer? Uh, I, and I'll say it to you guys, and I, I'll just be really blunt. I, I'm kind of an upfront person here. For me, it's about, I, I, don't, I won't, don't want to really say their excuses, but they will have excuses why I should not do this. And it's, it's time at that point to sit down. Let's have a conversation. Let's truly talk about these conservation practices. I mean, from start to finish, installation, what are the benefits that we've witnessed, that we've seen, uh, the tough questions for us when we start moving into economics. Having experts like Rodney and, and the documents and the information he's provided, carrying that with me to say, look, let me show you some of the results we're getting around the state from others that are implementing these practices. But bottom line, let's sit down and talk about why you are reluctant to do. And then I can tell you why, what those benefits are. And I'm doing my best to, it's, as Rodney said, it's a, it's a sales pitch, guys. Why should we move in this direction is really what they're going to be asking me. What I'm doing now works. Why would I move in a different direction? And I can hit them with all the highlights and, and it's glorious and wonderful to do all of those things. But at bottom line is, how does it affect their production? How does it affect their bottom line? And how what, what will the programs do for me? And that's why I say it comes to the point of, how do we mitigate that risk of them changing their management style 
adding conservation to their farm, but then the entire time proving to them these results are facts, not just something I dream up, not just because the government said it works. Now I bring in my experts. Uh, you know, I, I, I bat first, I bring somebody else in to bat second, and that fourth batter is Rodney, and he comes in just to clean it up. And at that point, we're ready to, it's that grand slam home run for me to say, now we've got someone you can actually have a conversation with who's doing this daily. This is a part of their business model. And when you see three or four of those people doing it and you have that resource, why would I not do this? What, what I, I'm, I can't lose. I've got every, all of these experts with me. Why not take a chance? But then I don't ever want a farmer to feel like it's overwhelming. Not only do I have the farmers and producers as a part of that team, I have the staff that's part of the team that they can follow up with, talk with, have conversations with. We see conservation on multiple different levels at multiple success rates. So we can share with them some of the things that are happening that may change that conservation, may make even better improvements in their operation. So it's not a one-shot uh, kind of deal here. It's not that you just bought this new car, you drove off the lot, we don't ever want to see you again. We want to follow up. We want to know that it, this is truly working for you. And if it's not, where do we go next? Very good. Rodney, I want to bring you back in here and, and discuss, you know, we've talked about the economic side of this uh, a little bit. And uh, it's it's something that it, it always comes back to uh, in, in a lot of these podcasts and a lot of conversations about conservation and the conservation practices, it comes down to economics for a lot of guys. Um, obviously, you know, there's there's passion behind it, wanting to leave it for the next generation. But if it's not economically viable, folks have a hard time doing it. What you're saying is, it's economically viable. I'm making money on it. Can you talk about that and how it kind of fits into the business plan? Yeah, sure. That's uh, that's been something that's been really exciting for us over the years. And, and like I said, you know, what, what Jerry and, and NRCS brought to the table initially was that, uh, that, that insurance and that, that help for us that, uh, you know, there's a little bit of financial support there uh, in this program to, to let you try it out. But the bottom line is, if we're going to keep doing it on our farm for 30 years, uh, it's not because of the money that Jerry gave us. It's, it's because we found out that it, it was a good model for us. Uh, and that's really what it's come down to. So um, uh, no-till was, was pretty easy to, to look at initially once we uh, figured out the system and, and established that we could maintain or improve our yields. That was really the big question up front, right? So everybody, everybody that's thinking about switching from a conventional system to a a no-till system, the first question is going to be, are my yields going to hold? So, so for us, the, we, we've proven that to ourselves. I think we've proven it to ourselves at this point that after, after you get the system worked out and the soils improve, our, our yields are, are increasing more than just, just holding. So that, so that's a bonus, but, but if we can reduce our costs with reduced labor and reduced equipment, reduced fuel, and then uh, maintain our yield, then, you know, that model works, right? So 
less cost, same income. That's a good for, for the farm. Um, cover crops were, were a little more uh, confusing at the beginning because nobody really knew what the yield response was going to be. Um, and it's got to do, it's, it's, it's introducing a cost. It's introducing, um, you know, seed costs, fuel, labor, all those things that are, that are going on with cover crops and getting them seeded and then terminating them and all those things. So, um, you know, yeah, it's good for the soil and that's neat. And we can see that, that stopping erosion is good and all that, but, um, Initially, it was, you know, small scale, let's see what happens. And then, of course, what we've really found over the years is that um, with bringing cover crops into the system, it's, it's more than just an additive effect, right? It's a, it's a multiplier uh, where we're actually increasing the health of the soil, uh, improving our water infiltration, water holding capacity, which leads to increased yields during these crazy, you know, drought flood scenarios that we're having these days all, all of those things so so we're at uh, the the healthier soils is consistently yielding more where we've had cover crops so so it's easy now looking back to say um, yeah we cut our costs with no-till we threw cover crops in there and we increased our yield and so so now we we're spending less money and making more bushels. It's, it's all good, right? It's hap happy days on the farm. But, <laughs> um, but the, the real thing at the beginning was, like I said, we've, you've got to pay the bank and you've got to put the kids through college and, and, and have a, a retirement someday and all, all of these things that, uh, that everybody worries about. Um, you know, if you're working for somebody else and, and going to a job nine to five and, and you feel some sense of stability there um, with your income, well, if I ask you to go and take a new job that's going to be dependent on how you perform, then that's going to create a little bit of anxiety for you, I would imagine, until you prove to yourself uh, that that you can do it and, and that you're better off in the end. So that's kind of where this transition came in with the soil health system and things, but I, I'm glad to say that at this point we're on the other side and what we see is that the benefits are far exceeding the cost. And so for us, it's a, it's a system that really works on the farm and, and not only are we improving uh, the environment, improving the soil, we're also improving our bottom line. So it's uh, certainly a win-win. And Jerry, Rodney mentioned some of those programs uh, that really helped him get going, and that's kind of what, what you do. Can you talk a little bit about some of those programs? And, and you know, he talked about it kind of being insurance, you know, something to, to help him out to get started. Well, I, yes, and um, he's, he's exactly right. Uh, and, and I like that uh, Rodney and I kind of have the same view with looking at some of the incentive programs, the management programs. Uh, programs as uh, kind of a cushion, kind of some insurance that uh, although we're changing this direction and we're changing our management style, it, it it's not much, but any help to offset the cost that I may incur, um, that's an added benefit. Uh, I'll back up to, to when we, he, he mentioned no-till first. This is what, uh, when we first started talking about no-till as an agency and the conservation practice and talking with producers about moving in that direction, uh, when it finally started taking hold, 
producers would come to the office to say, I want to sign up uh, for your uh, no-till equipment program. And, and some of our younger employees were like, well, we don't have an equipment program. Well, the message got around that the off financial assistance that we offered to transition to no-till would help pay for a no-till drill. So in their mind, oh, that money can be used to purchase a drill so I can move in this direction. Whatever language worked for them, we had to help our staff understand this is what they're talking about. When they come in and say, I, your, your, your equipment program. So, you know, it, it helped. It helped offset some of the cost of some producers didn't have that piece of equipment. They could share a piece of equipment. They could rent a piece of equipment, but it was about changing the management style and, and, and implementing that practice. It's the same with cover crops. Oh, we can use one cover crop. That's great. All of these things were put in place to say we want to improve um, soil erosion. Well, when you stop tilling, you improve erosion. When you use a cover crop, you improve, uh, you reduce the erosion. You improve uh, your, your, your soil uh, at, at that level. But then you meet uh, farmers like Rodney or producers like Rodney who are saying, that's wonderful. Now I have all my soil in place. What are the other things that, that we can do? So a lot of the practices are literally built off of the, the uh, innovation of our producers. And then those things, uh, you know, yes, the benefits are proven out. Science says they work. Now we can add those to our, our cost share programs. But again, all of them to me are about mitigating the risk of changing that management style. Those are our kind of our management pro practices. But then you also have structural practices for operations. So, you know, those huge gullies in the field, how do we address those? Uh, the, those areas that continue to erode, how do we address those? There are practices there that more that may be more structural practices, fixing more of a major problem that, that we may have to really remove equipment or tillage from. We, we, there, we have so many conservation practices available for every situation you could just about imagine. Um, even when I, I, I've been to the Grand Canyon and my wife said, I bet you can't fix that. I said, give me some time. I bet we have a conservation <laughs> practice that we could, it may be little bits at, at the time, but I think we could either stop the erosion or fill this hole up with water. So we know one, one way or another, we can uh, make an impact there. But that's what those practices are for. But at the end of the day, any producer utilizing or implementing these practices, it has to fit that operation. And as Rodney said, it, it has to be either increased production, bottom line, increased profitability. It's just, it can't just be a placeholder or something for us to do. It's got to be impacting our operation, not only today, but for generations to come. Our time is running short here on the Hat Soil Health podcast, but Jerry, I had one more question for you here. Yes, sir. When it comes to farming, things can and do go sideways. I've got a little smirk there from Rodney. He yes, knows sir. what I'm talking about. Yes. So say a farmer enters into an NRCS program for cover crops and you know, rough planting, rough harvest season. They just didn't get a good cover crop stand, and they might be out of NRCS compliance. So that can be a little scary, right? 
what yes. can and what should that farmer do at that point? Uh, I, I, very first thing, it, with them being in a program and them worrying about compliance, contact the district conservationists. Follow up with those folks that, that helped you establish that contract, that, that were there to assist you through that process. Um, because as Rodney said, when, when, when they enter into these contracts and agreements with us, there is a tremendous amount of paperwork. And uh, again, growing up on a farm, I know where it can end up. That's your truck, the seed, the desk at home. And we're busy and we forget to just kind of review some of those things. But when they find themselves in that situation, I pick up the phone and contact the, the service center, contact the district conservationist. Uh, if you if, the, if my name is the only one you remember, contact the state conservationist. We can work through those situations. We're not here to penalize any of our producers. Uh, I, I know it, it appears that way, even if they're out of compliance and we have to terminate a con contract, there's cost recovery for practices, there are liquidated damages, but we can work through all of those things as well. Um, these programs are voluntary programs. Rodney volunteered, volunteered to say, I want to do conservation on my farm. So if to receive the assistance, um, this is what I have to do. But you had a bad planting season. It was too wet. Then when you did harvest, it was even wetter. Now you've run it up the field. What do you do? And what, what we tell our employees is that it's about the land and the producer. Now, his next crop, there's no way he can go out there and plant across those, you know, six, eight inch ruts. And, and, and we can't expect them to do that. So how do we fix that situation? Maybe it's that acre of the field that he's allowed to till and then reseed. Yes, it's not a complete field, but it could be a complete field. How do we work through those situations? And I would say every case is going to be different, but we have the ability to work through those things. Now, we have employees that are going to say, look, we can't do that. I, I always say this, every boss has a boss and every contract has rules and regulations that we have to follow. But most all of these come with appeal rights. So don't ever hesitate to elevate your concerns of, I, I, of, of you feel like, well, I don't think that's fair. You don't feel like that's fair let's have that discussion about it because again i know for the state of indiana we're here to help the producer to move in a different direction and we can't be a hindrance uh, with the with these programs rodney last one here for you i asked this of many of our producers when we do this hat soil health podcast and i've probably asked you before but i'm going to ask you again for those producers that are out there that are just thinking about getting started What's your best advice? Well, I mean, I think the number one thing that I tell people is just jump in and do it. Um, you know, you can you can think yourself to death at this point. Uh, there's there's a lot of data out there and a lot of help out there. So so the first thing is obviously going to be, you know, talk to to Jerry's people and and get some help and explanation of the programs talk to the farmer down the road that's that's doing something that you're interested in because chances are uh, they're more than happy to share their experiences with you and tell you what the pitfalls might be to help you uh, 
maybe get off to a good start. But, but yeah, the bottom line is we only get so many seasons as farmers. And uh, that may be part of why we like to think about passing it to the next generation, because we know our, our time tending uh, for this land is finite. And, and uh, we don't know how many seasons we're going to get. So I suggest people go ahead and get on it and uh, give it a try, at least on some small scale. See, see if these practices will work on your farm and then and then go from there and make it your own because that's uh, that's really kind of what farming is about so eric i think we we're going to have to change the name here to the rodney and jerry show because <laughs> i really like what he just stated my my comment to them would be if what you're doing is not working you must do something different and then rodney's saying and just do it whatever that thing is jump in and if it's about a program or assistance that you need, that's what the agency is there for. I, I, even if you don't want our financial assistance, the technical assistance about the programs and the information, the cover crop planning, that is yours for free because as a taxpayer, you've paid for it. It's available to you. Take full advantage of all the services that the agency offers. And then if you possibly need someone to harvest. I may be available. You just have to possibly get on my schedule. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, that's one of the things I, to, to come back there, one of the things that I, I love about uh, working with NRCS and having a director like Jerry in, in charge here in Indiana, you can tell the difference here in Indiana and the direction uh, that our state's going compared to some other uh, organizations and things. Um, you know, that collaborative uh, attitude that, that we have here in Indiana is just amazing. And, and it does, it gives you the the confidence and and that little bit of security that if things do go sideways on you, or or whatever happens, um, you know you're not going to get uh, the full force of the law down on you just because you signed a paper at some point. Uh, you're going to be able to work through it, and, and there's going to be a solution that'll work. Obviously, you can't sign up for a program and expect to get paid and never do the practice. That's not the way this this works. But but if there's a legitimate reason, I, I think we've had great experience with with uh, you know the organizations being flexible and and willing to work with us. And and Jerry makes a great point right there at the end that. Um, if, if you're concerned or your landlord's concerned about signing up for a multi-year program that may bind you to something, um, the resources are there. They're happy to work with you, and you don't have to sign up for a program in order to utilize the, the resources and go to the meetings and, and all those kind of things. So um, there's a great partnership here in Indiana that, that we're proud to be part of. That's Rodney Rulin, Jerry Rayner here as well. And you heard it, if I don't appear on the next Had Soil Health podcast, it's because Jerry and Rodney have taken over and I've been ousted. So uh, thank you guys both so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That does it for this edition of the Hat Soil Health podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. You can learn more about their programs and find a calendar of events at ccsin.org. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and this has been a production of Hoosier Ag Today. Indiana's Farm Network.